Remain standing, if you would, please. As you take your Bibles and open them to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 4. And Paul gave to us uh, the what of a believer. Uh, He gave to us some of the direction as far as the... um, Uh, what it is that we are to do, how we are to live. And then, as we saw last week in verse number 8, he gave to us not only the what, but he gave to us the mindset behind the what. And so why do I unify with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Why uh, Why do I put others first? Why is it that I need to have the mind of Christ? Why, Why do I do these things? Well, because my mind is filled with the things of God. And so we looked at verse 8 and the things that we ought to think. But then Paul takes it a step further here in verse number 9, and he makes it practical. Now, it's one thing for me to say this is what ye ought to do. It's another thing to say this is how ye ought to think. But then there's something even more when I say here's what I mean, and I give an example. I make illustrations. A lot of times we refer to the illustrations, and I've heard many preachers who spend more time in the illustration than they do in the Word of God. That's not what we want to do, but I do want to get into this a little bit deeper today. Look with me if you would, and we're going to read starting in verse 1 so that we get the context of this all the way down to verse number 9. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown, So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with many other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now our text for today, verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Father, bless now we pray the reading of your word. Hide me, Father, behind anything that would get in the way of your message today. I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with power from on high, that I may be able to speak as of the oracles of God. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> if you notice there in verse number 9, he says, Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. I know there's probably a a lot of uh, individuals who maybe uh, in their mind they're thinking down the road of 
uh, of wait a minute. So I, the things that you have learned and received and heard, and I, I know the the editors in the area, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the people who have a desire to make sure that grammar is perfect and everything. You know what I'm what what you're seeing right there. And, 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 and. It's like, no, 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 there's only supposed to be one and. Well, I believe Paul, in, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, he says and in front of all of these different things because he wants to put a little bit of an emphasis in this. So if you look in the Greek, you're going to find the word chi, which is the and, which is placed in there. Now, their grammatical structure is not necessarily the same as ours. However, whenever you see the and repeated this way, where it's made uh, so much uh, of a connecting thought, then there's, there's time for us to pay close attention. Because what Paul is doing is he's breaking up the, the, uh, uh, the details, and he's saying, you know, don't just sum them together, don't just mesh them all together. These are individual, and they need to be focused on specifically. Now, as we get into this, Paul here, he gives to us not only the what, now he makes it practical, and often we hear so much about the hypocrisy and the authenticity that is uh, found or not found in the church that we, we completely lose sight sometimes of the ones who are not being hypocritical or that truly are authentic. Now, we, we see uh, in the media, in the news media, you see how there's this pastor or this, this song leader or this group of people over here did something that is, is not right. And the, the church is full of hypocrites. And I understand that because, yes, guess what? The church is full of hypocrites because I'm in it and you're in it. However, Paul puts out something here that's interesting to me. Because generally speaking, what we hear is, is that the church is full of hypocrites. Yes, well, we're all hypocrites, and that's where it stops. But I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be that way. It does not need to rest there. Paul puts it out in an interesting way. He says, I'm not. He makes a very bold statement and places himself in a glass house, so to speak, where he says, I am doing what I'm telling you to do. Now, here's where things get hairy for us. Because we want to say, well, nobody's perfect, preacher. No, you're right. Nobody but Jesus was perfect. Well, so you can't ask me. No, I'm asking you not to be perfect. Perfect. I'm asking you to do what you're being told to do. Here's the problem. I want you to notice the progression that is seen in this passage because verse 8 gives to us the thinking, right? Verse 8 showed to us, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think. On these things. This is the way a Christian ought to think. And then verse 9 will be the outcome of that. The reason that we aren't able to, as Paul did, claim, I am not a hypocrite, is because our thinking is not right. Holy thinking leads to holy living. 
when we come to an area such as this, a lot of people want to shy away from it. Well, Paul's claiming to be perfect. That's not what he said. He said, just do what I do. Well, what is it that Paul did? I'm so glad you asked. Because Paul places himself in this glass house on display, examine me. Can I ask a question? How many of us would be willing to do the same? Every single one of us should be willing. We all ought to be willing to say to our kids, to our nieces, to our nephews, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me do. But what we do is we go, oh, I want my kids to not be like me. I, I want them to be better than me. We all want our kids to be better than me. I, I, I definitely want my three children to grow up better than me. Because I, if they end up like this, that's going to be a sad thing. And I'm going to feel like a failure as a parent. I want them to be better than I am. But that doesn't excuse me from being an example to them. So many of us, we say, well, I want them to be better than me. So, you know, learn from my mistakes. No, 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 no. You learn from your mistakes. That's where we need to start. And the Apostle Paul doesn't excuse the mistake. He says, look, I'm not perfect. Actually, if you just go back to chapter number 3, look, look what he says. Chapter number 3, verse number 12, look what he says. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that that I may be apprehended, that for which I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He says, hey, I'm not complete. He's still working on me. I'm not finished in this race. I'm not perfect. But, notice what he says there, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and I press toward the mark. Too many of us are staying in the things which are behind. Well, I want my kids to be better than me. I'm, I, I failed in this area, failed in that. Hopefully they'll learn after my mistakes. They won't do the same thing that I did. They won't make the same mistakes that I've done and that I continue to do and continue to do and continue to do and continue to do. No. Paul said, I put them in the past where they belong and I keep going forward. The Apostle Paul didn't say, I'm perfect, and you be perfect like me. He said, do what I'm doing. And run for the tape at the end of the finish line. Too many of us, we, we look for the excuse. And we say, well, uh, it's all right. My kids will hopefully turn out better than I turned out. Well, of course that's the hope. But it's not the excuse. You see, there are two aspects of this that we're going to see in these first two, verse, or first two words of this verse. Verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received. Learned and received. There are two aspects of this. One, uh, one way to see this is that learning is the part of the hearer while receiving insinuates the part of the teacher. And a lot of commentaries will take this bent, that when he says the things that you have learned, it's talking about what you have learned by him, and then the things that you received is, is what he specifically has taught, and it should, I don't agree with it. I don't, I don't agree with that. 
I believe what the Apostle Paul is saying here is there's, there's two different aspects of this. One, you have the learning, which is what you do. When you go home uh, after this, you're going to go home, and guess what? You should still have a Bible somewhere in your home. If you have a smartphone, there's absolutely no excuse. And the things that you're studying on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday are the things that you're learning. The things that you're receiving is what you have come on Sunday morning or you go to one of the Wednesday night classes starting this week or you go to uh, some other Bible study and you listen to a preacher. Maybe you turn the radio on and you're listening to uh, uh, one of the radio personalities, one of them preaching and teaching. Those are the things that you are receiving. But it can even go a little bit further than that. The things that have you have learned and received can even be in reference to the things that are easy Versus the things you got to dig for. Remember we were in the passage not too long ago. Let your moderation be known unto all men. That's something that you need to dig to understand what it's talking about with the moderation there. So that's something you need to learn. When someone says thou shalt not lie. You don't need a doctrine in philosophy to figure that one out. That's something you've received. And so there's many different aspects to this uh, that we're seeing here. But learning being that understanding from much study and, and receiving being more in reference to the, the more obvious, this speaks not only of what Paul wrote, but also of what Paul spoke. Now, it's one thing for us to read, but I'm here to tell you, everything that we have in the Word of God is not everything the Apostle Paul said. Everything we have in the book of John is not anywhere near everything that Christ did or said. John even sums it up by saying, hey, if we wrote everything down, there wouldn't be enough ink and parchment left to write it. He did so much more than this. We have enough. <laughs> Someone says, well, what, what if we find a third uh, letter to the Corinthian church, Pastor? And we're still struggling with the first letter, let alone the second letter, and you want a third? Well, pastor, there's a lot of books that are... No, there's not a lot of books that are missing. I believe we have the completed Word of God, book, to book, chapter, verse. I believe the 66 that are located right there. Notice I said 66. I believe that those are the inspired Word of God. I, I, I don't believe we're missing anything. And I don't believe God is not powerful enough to make sure we're not missing it. I believe God's powerful enough for the past 2,000 years to make sure that we have what we're supposed to have. So if the third epistle to the Corinthian church shows up, I don't want it inserted in the Bible that for 2,000 years God has preserved. Not only, though, what has been read but what has been explained to us. That's what the Apostle Paul is wanting us to understand. Uh, get this. As God's word is explained to us by the preacher, we rely on uh, uh, seeking, we rely on the Holy Spirit. Boy, that really did get messed up, in it, didn't it? We seek application as we are guided by the Holy Spirit. Just take rely out. We seek application as we are guided by the Holy Spirit. There are three things involved in here. 
There's three things involved. God's Word, the Holy Spirit, and the explanation. When we sit down and we study the Word of God, here's what we typically do. Someone says, okay, um, I want to understand Philippians chapter number 4, verse number 9. And so this is what we do. Google. What does Philippians 4, 9 mean? You know what we have just done? We have set aside the Word of God and forgotten that we have a Holy Spirit within us. Where we need to start is here. Not what brother so-and-so has to tell me. Not what brother such-and-such wrote in his blog post. Not what some radio preacher has to say about the subject. No, we start here and let the Holy Spirit that dwells within the believer give illumination. And then we start to go and examine what others say in light of God's word and we start to study. And so if you go home and you take Sunday morning's message and you go home and you say, well, I've had my church and I've had my preaching and I got God's word. That's enough for this week. I'm sorry, but you have not gotten anywhere close to what you need to get. If you're relying on what you hear out of this bald, chubby fellow's mouth, you're not getting enough. You're not getting enough. My wife likes to put vitamins out every morning. She sits on the counter. She sets three stacks of vitamins for the kids. And then she sets a mountain of vitamins for the old husband. These kids come up and they get three chewables that taste good. I make my way to my mountain of 8,500 pills. I told her the other day, I said, you know, it'd be real easy for you to kill me. All you got to do is just slip one more in, and I'd never notice. And so if I ever just turn up dead one day, examine my mountain of vitamins, please. <laughs> no. But she puts it, now, here's, here's the interesting thing. Those, those vitamins are important. They're necessary. They have in those, that little stack of vitamins that she gives the kids has more than enough nutrients to make sure that they get all the vitamins and minerals that they need for that day. So there's no need to feed them, right? No need for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They got all the vitamins and minerals they needed in that little pile of chewables. So quit asking for a peanut butter and jelly, right? That's what we do. We go to church on Sunday and we say, I got all I needed. No. No. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. If that's true this morning, then why do we spend so much time with everything but Jesus on a daily basis? Sometimes we go looking for our Bible and we have to dust it off. Sunday morning rolls around. You see my Bible anywhere? Well, maybe if you read it yesterday, the day before that, or the day before that, or the day before that, you might know where it was. As, we, as God's word is explained by the preacher, we rely 
we uh, seek the application, we rely on the Holy Spirit to give us application. Paul intentionally places himself here under a microscope for the people in Philippi, for their benefit. He intentionally does this. You see, we must take the whole of God's word. If I look only at this verse, there's a lot of people who, who take a verse like this and they say, man, he was arrogant. No, he wasn't because you haven't read the rest of the books. As we saw there in chapter 3, he already said, I haven't attained, I haven't gotten perfect, but just, just do what I'm doing. In other words, try. Try. Always moving forward. When I fail, I don't stay there. I don't turn around and go home. I keep moving forward. But Paul places himself intentionally under a microscope. Not only from a mind of uh, do what I say, but also do what I do. Now, if you've raised children for any amount of time, you understand what that's like. You know, the, do as I say, not as I do. Right? Oh, no, don't, don't do what I do. Do what I'm telling you because I'm imperfect and I mess up. So don't do what I do. Just do what I say. Why don't we quit saying and just start doing? We do that at the workplace. We do that at the grocery store. We expect, you know, we expect everybody else to act Christian, but we can act however we want. Can you believe the way that guy cut me off? He took my spot. I hate this store. They only have one register open, and I got to stand all the way back. But if you were Christian, you'd let me in front. And if the owner of this store was a Christian, he'd have more than two registers open. What's wrong with these people? We expect everybody else to act Christian, but we're allowed to act however we want to act. No. No. What he taught, the Apostle Paul, he lived. You see, Paul could claim a lack of hypocrisy. But he was not claiming perfection. He was simply saying, yeah, I'm telling you to keep moving forward That's because that's what I'm doing. I'm telling you to pick up and move on because that's what I do. I'm telling you to spend time in the Word of God because that's what I do. I'm telling you to commit the Word of God to memory because that's what I do. I'm telling you to pray because that's what I do. I'm telling you to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because that's what I do. The Apostle Paul is not just writing, this is what you're supposed to do. He says, this is what I do. You want to know why the Apostle Paul was such a giant for the word of the Lord and for, for the ways of God, for his work, for his kingdom? You want to know why he was such a giant? It's because he did it. Not just because he taught it. God's not going to reach down. And, and I'm sorry, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm here to let you know. When you go through some of these religious leaders through history who, talk, who, who write down some of these things, just look at their lifestyle. Muhammad was a pedophile. And he's the voice of God? No! The Apostle Paul is able to say, do what I do. Because he lived what he said. 
well, I'm not the Apostle Paul. No, you're not. But that doesn't mean you can't live like the Apostle Paul. That doesn't mean you can't dig into the Word of God like the Apostle Paul. That doesn't mean you can't love your neighbor like the Apostle Paul. Go back to Romans chapter 7. And look at that. He says, the things that I wish I was doing, I'm not doing. The things that I do, I wish I wasn't doing. You know what else? Not only, not only does the Apostle Paul practice what he said. He, what he said he did, what he taught he practiced. When he failed, he admitted and looked for a way to not do it again. <laughs> well, I'm not the Apostle Paul. That's right, because most of us, when we fail, we shrug it off and we don't worry about it. But the Apostle Paul, he noticed, I am still in this flesh, a wretched man that I am. But just a little bit later, he says, I've been seated in heavenly places. And so when he tells the Philippians, he says, do what I do, that's exactly what he's trying to say. Here's the question. Does your life present the gospel. Think about it for just a minute. Most of us, our life presents a false gospel when we don't do what we claim the Lord has changed in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is love. But I'm not loving. That's a false gospel. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. I'm just not a joyful person, preacher. You just got to understand my life. I'm just not very joyful. Then you don't have the Spirit. Read your Bible. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. This is the fruit of the Spirit. If I have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in me, guess what? I have the fruit, and it's up to me to employ it. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. This is a sister passage of this verse, I'd say. Sister passage of what Paul is saying. He said it to the Philippians. He also said something similar to the church there in Corinth. You know, there in verse 9, he says, The things that you've seen and heard and, and, and received and everything, he says, he says, I want you to do that. In other words, do what I'm doing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, Be ye followers of me. That sounds kind of similar, doesn't it? Be ye followers of me, even as... I also am of Christ. Now, buckle up. Because we're getting ready for a, a, a rough landing here. Turbulence is about to hit. And if you like to fly, I love to fly. I love to fly and I love a rough ride. I like the turbulence where the sign comes on the in the cabin and the, the, the pilot comes across and says, please fasten your seat belt and you're just bouncing along and you're looking at the guy next to you and you just want to go, do you know where you're going to go if you were to die today? <laughs> Man, you want to talk about a fun and enjoyable experience. 
Just watch the fella next to you as he's white knuckling. Do what? Yeah, feels like we're going to crash, don't it? <laughs> Do you know Jesus? I love turbulence. We're getting ready for some turbulence here. He says, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Do you remember, as we've talked before, that the verse in chapter divisions didn't used to be there? So let's go back just a few verses in chapter number 1, look at, or chapter number 10, verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Notice it's all-encompassing. Before we go any further, let's just pay attention to this, because many of us, we can be very quick. I'm not going to offend my brother or sister in Christ. Well, you shouldn't offend people outside of the church either. And then there's the opposite sometimes that happen. Well, I don't want to offend anybody on the outside, but I really don't care if I offend my brother or sister in Christ. They're just going to have to deal with it. You know, we're saved. They, they should act better. Well, so should you. So notice what he says in there, all-encompassing. You know, we've talked about this before, that the word of God would be offensive, but never the man of God. Never the woman of God. If something's going to offend, let it just simply be the truth of God's word and not me or you. Verse 33, he says, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many. Why? Look at the last few words. Say that last phrase with me. That they may be saved. Then he goes into saying, be followers of me. In other words, quit being offensive. Quit worrying about yourself. Quit focusing on Y-O-U. Think about the people that we are offending. Think about the people that we need to show love to. Think about someone other than me, myself, and I. It seems like that's the only people we ever think about, right? Paul says, no, 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 no. Follow me in this. The same way I follow him. Who for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame. What did he do? Went to the cross for you. He endured the hardship and the shame of the cross. Going back to my original question, you remember when I, when I first started this? Paul put himself in a glass house. Would you be willing to do that? Every single one of us should. And the reason I'm not willing to do it is because I'm more concerned with this old boy than you. The reason I wouldn't want... But you know, look, I can, I can, I'm up here and I'm preaching. Now listen, I'm not perfect, so don't hold me to the standard. I'm just relaying the message. Don't, no, you should hold me to the standard. You have every right. Here's something that you can expect from me at least. And I know Pastor McCracken is the exact same way. If we say it, we expect you to hold us to it too. 
you should be willing to hold me accountable to this word. And you should be willing to hold one another accountable to the exact same standard. Yeah, but you're a pastor. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Paul told the whole church in Philippi to do this. He didn't just write to the pastor. He wrote to the saints in Philippi. He wrote to the entire church in Corinth to live this way. Not just the pastor in the church at Corinth. And he's writing today to you. Paul could rightly claim this lack of hypocritical living. His life revealed the gospel. He was once a murderer. He was on his way to, at, at, at best, see Christians in prison. At worst, he wanted them dead. And then on the road, he met Jesus. And his life changed. Read the account. He couldn't eat or, or drink or anything for three days because his entire world was changed. Do, you, do we not understand what happens when God comes into the picture? Our world is upside down. If I'm walking through this life and everything is, is just status quo and then I meet Christ and everything continues to be status quo, the gospel Hasn't sunk in. Because my entire life, his world, everything he thought he knew was wrong. Everything he thought he knew needed to change. His life was a representation of the gospel. Let me ask you this. How are you doing, just simply speaking, at doing what God's word has to say? You know what? Here's the beautiful thing about Paul. He didn't say make sure your yesterdays were perfect. And he doesn't say make sure your tomorrow is perfect. He says press on. Do is in the present tense, the active form. It could be transliterated practice. We worry so much about whether or not we are perfect for the rest of our life. Well, pastor, you know, I'm really struggling trying to get this right or trying to get that right. I can't do this right. I can't do that right. And, and I've got my whole list of things that I've got to be. No, no, no. Stop, stop, stop. Can you right now? Right this minute, do what's right. I'm not asking about tomorrow when you go to work, do what's right. I'm saying right now, in this minute. See, here's the thing. There are many of us in this room right now that are convicted by the Holy Spirit of God about something in our life that needs change. Right now, determine I'm going to do it. I've been holding on to something in my life. I've been fighting the Holy Spirit of God about this in my life. He's told me to get more time in the Word, to get more time in prayer, to give up this relationship, to give up that type of uh, uh, practice, to, to get away from this habit or that habit. I'm going to do it. 
Can you do what's right today? In this moment. I've got someone I need to forgive. And God, right now I do that. God, I've got someone that I need to make amends with. And I need to ask their forgiveness. God, as soon as we're done, I'm not going to let a minute go by. As soon as we're done. You know, I wouldn't be offended if someone got up, grabbed their phone, went out and took care of it right now. I'm not asking you to be perfect for the rest of your life. What I'm asking is, can you do the right thing in this moment? And then in the next moment, guess what the decision will be? To do the right thing in that moment. That's all, Paul, that's all Paul's saying. If you fail, dust yourself off and do the right thing in the next moment. So how are you doing with this? Don't present a false gospel. Please don't do that. Don't encourage a worldly lifestyle. The gospel does not encourage us to stay the way we are. It goes through me when I hear a preacher or a church talk about, you don't have to change. I'm not against sin. I'm for everybody. No. No. That's a false gospel. And it's heresy. Call it what it is. You know, the term do is something that we are to practice. Do the right things. Did you know that you are charged with leading someone? You are. You are charged with leading someone. If you're a parent, you're charged with leading someone. If you're a co-worker, you're charged with leading someone. If you're a neighbor, you're charged with leading someone. If you are a customer, you're charged with leading someone. My wife and I were at a store the other day, and I just looked at the young lady at the cash register, and I said, has anybody told you Jesus loves you? She said, you just did. And I said, good, because he does. She said, thank you for making my night. I wonder if she would have responded the same way if I was rude to her at the cashier, at the checkout station. Hurry it up, woman. Time for me to go. I'm standing in line for 14 hours. You're charged with leading someone. How are you doing at that? What kind of example are you being for them? Here in just a moment, the music's going to play. And you're presented right now with an opportunity. Right now, you are presented with the opportunity to obey God's leading in your heart. And what you do with God's word is either going to be a yes or a no to him. I'm not your Holy Spirit. But maybe there's someone that you've been harboring ill feelings about that the Lord is telling you you need to forgive them. 
Maybe there's someone you have wronged and the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart saying you need to go apologize and get it right. Or maybe you have a decision in your home that needs to be made, needs to be made right. And the Holy Spirit's saying you need to get this taken care of as soon as you make it there. Whatever you do, whatever you do in your heart of hearts, is it going to be a yes, Lord, or no? And we've got to own it. But don't forget, there's a group of little kids in that room over there. That if we expect them to grow up a certain way, you and I need to grow up a certain way. If we expect those kids in our home to be a certain way, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen, do. How about it? What's your decision?